The Tokyo Olympics come to a close. How did it go? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tokyo Report from Around the Rings. I'm your podcast host, Ed Hula. The flame is out in Tokyo. The Olympics, like no other, have come to an end. While every Games is unique, nobody is hoping for another one quite like this one, I think it's fair to say. The strain is the strain of holding an Olympics in the coronavirus pandemic really has tested Japan, the IOC, athletes, and the media. For our final Tokyo report, we're joined by Sebastian Fest, my successor as editor in chief at Around the Rings. While I enjoy a slower pace of life as a consultant and a reporter for this great publication. Indeed, games like no other. Sebastian Fest, you've been covering these Olympics almost as long as I have. Um, have you, you know, have you ever seen or, or, or felt anything like this before in an Olympic Games? Uh, hi, Ed. Such a pleasure to talk to you. No, I haven't. I haven't, in fact, uh, felt something like this, uh, neither in the Olympic Games uh, or in some any other uh, sports competition. I mean, you know, when your friends and parents, uh, they, they, they tell you, oh, so great, you're in Tokyo, you're at, the, you're at the Olympic Games. And you have to explain them that you are at the Olympic Games, but you're not really in Tokyo because we all lived in a bubble for more than two weeks. And we were basically not allowed to uh, put our, our feet in Tokyo. So these games have been quite, quite strange. I, and when you say a bubble... I mean, do you did you really have uh, no chance to escape from that bubble, to talk to people, to go anywhere else? Uh, was it very strictly enforced? It was very strictly. I mean, uh, in theory, you could have escaped that bubble, but uh, there were lots of warnings about what you shouldn't do. And, of course, there were things that you shouldn't do because uh, this has a reason. No? I mean, Japan is trying to protect itself from the foreigners because uh, they didn't vaccinate enough, they didn't vaccinate on time. So uh, when you stayed at your hotel and you couldn't choose an hotel, you couldn't stay here, for instance, in an apartment you rented yourself in an Airbnb or in the hotel you like where you have been 25 years ago, five years ago. No, you have to choose the hotel that the organization decided. And when you, every day at the hotel, you had two separate paths, one with a, a red sign, which said first 14 days, and another one with the uh, green sign, which said uh, free. So for 14 days, we were walking this red path that reminded us every day at every single minute that we were under scrutiny, under control. And the day you finally are allowed to walk uh, the green path, it's kind of a sensation of liberation. And from then on, you theoretically can go to Tokyo. But Tokyo is also a, a, a city uh, not at its best moment. I mean, you can do some, you can do anything at night. Uh, you can only do things or go to a restaurant, do a sightseeing during the day. So uh, these are not exactly the games you would say uh, you enjoy. These are not really enjoyable games, although what you see on TV is amazing in terms of sports. Did you ever feel uh, any hostility or indifference on the part of the Japanese people? That's a great question. No, I haven't. In fact, they are all very kind. I mean, uh, the constant uh, bowing 
and the constant uh, salute and the constant uh, kindness of these uh, people, these Japanese people here, have uh, helped us to uh, overcome these uh, first 14 days. I mean, I was uh, the other day thinking, uh, reflecting, had this happened in some other country where people are not that nice, the experience would have been even uh, worse than it was already. So, no, the Japanese people, they really behave well. Uh, and given the circumstances, they were really nice. Uh, what kind of effect did it have not to have spectators there? Um, because that's certainly, you know, one of the extraordinary aspects of the Olympic Games is the way they bring not just athletes together, but uh, people from across the world together. And the idea of these, you know, venues standing empty, you know, I, mo most striking to me was the uh, beach volleyball competition um, and to see these, these players in this giant bowl of empty seats competing, um, it just, you know, just makes me shudder to think of the energy, the cost, the resources that have gone into building uh, some of these temporary arenas that, uh, you know, didn't get used, uh, but, uh, but the zero, zero atmosphere, uh, zero excitement, no noise, um, was, was, was very noticeable, I imagine. Yeah, no noise, uh, no vibe. I mean, these games uh, showed us how important it is to have spectators and how important is the interaction between spectators and uh, the, the sports competitors. I mean, uh, this started with the opening ceremony. The opening ceremony was uh, quite depressing because you don't do an opening ceremony in an empty stadium. This is a simon, this is a contradiction in itself. And uh, that opening ceremony also had to uh, restrain uh, itself because it was not a moment to celebrate. So it was quite difficult to, 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 to understand that and to enjoy that. And then uh, once the sports uh, started, for instance, one of the first venues I visited was the surfing one. They had a fantastic uh, setup there. I mean, Fernando Agari, the, the president of the Surfing Federation Association, uh, he really prepared something beautiful there. It was like being at one of these very nice beach where you can surf the whole day and you listen to music and have nice drinks and nice place to take a rest and to talk. And that was there, but no one was there. It was empty. And uh, I was today also at the volleyball uh, when Argentina won the bronze medal. It was the Argentina-Brazil match. And the Ariaki Arena is such a beautiful place, such a modern and nice place. And it's totally empty and it's depressing. And the same happened, as you say, in this uh, beach volleyball venue, which is uh, also a very nice one. And it's so huge and so empty. And the emptiness makes uh, these this venues even bigger. Maybe the exception was with the new sports. For instance, I've been to the uh, sports climbing and uh, the, the attraction that these uh, sports, these new sports had, this made uh, people to visit them. So the so-called Olympic family and the journalists, uh, everyone wanted to see how this works. So uh, the, these competitors of sports climbing, they had a good applause. They had a would say a few hundred people watching them, which was not the case, for instance, in the tennis, which was not the case in the volleyball, was not the case in the basketball. That was quite depressing. Definitely, 
sports without spectators is less sports. How about those new sports? So um, did you get an impression about any of them as far as how, how, how suitable they are for the Olympics? You know, whether they will be, you know, long, long lasting uh, uh, mem members of the Olympic program, skateboarding, sport climbing. Uh, yeah, I think uh, surfing. Yeah, I would say uh, they have a good future because they connect with the people and they kind of rejuvenate the games. Uh, the sports climbing, for instance, is a very nice venue. It's a very uh, enjoyable uh, thing to watch. Uh, and you learn about new things now because we are all used to the traditional Olympic sports. For instance, I had a long talk with uh, Richard Pound here in the games and he said, okay, it's not my idea of Olympic sports, uh, surfing, uh, sports climbing, uh, skateboarding. But at the same time, I'm almost 80. And I understand that the young people, that the youth, they, they want to have this kind of sports. And what you could feel there, what you could see there was something that you wouldn't see in some of the traditional and very professionalized sports like football, basketball, tennis, uh, even volleyball, where... Uh, the competitors, they help uh, each other. I mean, for instance, in sports climbing, they were checking the wall, analyzing where to put their feet, how to grab uh, the wall, uh, what's the best tactic. And they were all watching this and they were all uh, sharing that information. And then they start the competition. So you wouldn't imagine uh, a soccer match where the players of the different teams share uh, the best way to 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 reach uh, the other uh, backline. So I think they are refreshing. They 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 bring something to the games they didn't have. Uh, and from what I've seen here, there are not a logistical problem. There are not that mm, problem at all uh, for the games. So I think they will remain in the games. And as we know, we will have in France, and this is a huge debate: uh, break dancing or freestyle which is yeah is it's a sport okay we will see in three years in Paris you were at the surfing uh, what was that like that was some distance from from Tokyo but um, does it have the potential to be a, a, a sport that that lasts on the Olympic program I think uh, they, they have for instance I mean they are confirmed for Paris and they will uh, compete in a Tahitian wave, which is one of the best waves in the world. And then you have, of course, Los Angeles, and Los Angeles is one of the capital of uh, surfing worldwide. And then you have Brisbane, and Australia is a country uh, who loves surfing. So, uh, as Fernando Agarra said, uh, we, 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 went, we went for one wave and uh, we paddled four, or we will, be paddled, we will be paddling four. So, they are kind of lucky. And the surfing is, uh, when you don't surf or when you don't know the spot that much, uh, it's probably difficult to understand being on site, although the scenery is fantastic and you enjoy it. But the, the thing that impressed me here was the uh, quality of the broadcasting of the TV. And I was talking about this with Yanis Exarchos from OBS, the way they managed to put the spectator inside the water. I mean, they had cameras. Uh, at the shore, they had cameras on the air with a drone, and they had cameras with a boat or 
uh, yeah, with a boat in the in the sea. So you had the sensation, or you understood, you felt the difficulty uh, that means to be surfing and to be facing a huge wave and to overcome it or to control it and surf it. So I think this is one of the sports that you might enjoy even better from your couch than on site. It's in any case a different sensation. Well, what about going to Tahiti in three years. Can I be put on the list for that trip? Yeah, we we, we go together because I <laughs> I have to be put in the same list. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> we'll let everybody take care of themselves in in Paris, left to their own devices. There, um, uh, great moments, great moments in sport. Yeah, you know, we we did have a we did have a few of those uh, 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 here in in Tokyo. Certainly the. What happened in, in gymnastics was uh, was was a drama, uh, not necessarily just a a one night thing, but that was a drama. But we had some uh, great races in in track and field. Um, uh, what do you think will be remembered from from these games in the way of in the way of sport? I mean, usually when you when you think about Olympic Games, uh, athletics and swimming uh, take the lead. No? And when we speak about athletics in these games, I mean, before the start of Tokyo 2020, the question was, okay, who's going to be the new Usain Bolt? Okay, is Jamaica going to still be dominating track and field or not? And the answer is quite surprising. I mean, the new Usain Bolt is an Italian, and Italy won not only the, the 100 meters, but the relays. Uh, so this, is, uh, not, this was not expected. I mean, I had a chance to talk to the Italians relay team last night, and they were yeah, so happy uh, and so confident, too, although they won by only the most slightest uh, possible margin over the, over the UK. So I think that we will remember these events uh, for many things. Also, what you mentioned in gymnastics is, is a big issue. But the fact that uh, track and field was so uh, different this time that countries that usually don't want the gold, it was the case also with uh, Venezuela in the triple jumping. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a thing that will be remembered from these games, I think. And Japan, Japan has done done really well. It's too bad they weren't able to turn out domestic uh, spectators to uh, cheer them on. It would have been uh, even you know more extraordinary uh, for their for their yep. success. But they've uh, they've won won medals across sport and uh, um, probably have done a lot to rehabilitate the uh, the the image of the Olympics in Japan. Uh, I'm still not sure they're entirely happy that the Olympics did come to Tokyo in the end, but I guess we'll be uh, seeing what the public opinion surveys show after the games. But uh, yeah, it was a, a, a good Olympics for Japan. Yeah, yesterday uh, you had at uh, the entrance of the Olympic Stadium uh, a small demonstration of people like chanting against the games, no? But uh, besides this, I mean, we have to see at the end of the games what the survey said. Uh, but you're right. I mean, Japan, they did great in these games in terms of sports. And it, this only uh, shows us how sad it is that uh, there were no spectators here. 
And as you said, I mean, for instance, going back to the surfing, there were some venues uh, where the, the, the space was so huge, where with some more flexibility, you could have had a few hundred spectators and they would have kept the distance, not two meters, but five or 10, because it was enough space. But the way this has been done, that uh, no spectators at all anywhere, uh, yeah, it didn't allow that. But uh, it's sad. It's sad for the Japanese because these games were presented by them. And I can read it here right now, but like the recovery and reconstruction games. And at the end of the day, they had to remain at home. They they couldn't watch the games at home, so this is unprecedented. The IOC has taken a lot of a uh, lot of heat, a lot of uh, criticism for forging ahead with these with these games um, in the in the pandemic. Where, where do you think the IOC stands after after all of this moving forward? Um, is there is there reputation um, and credibility improved by the way these games have come out or is it you know is is the ioc still susceptible to being you know criticized for not really paying attention to the opinions of the japanese people to the uh, seriousness of the of the pandemic i mean if you think uh, if you if you look at the big picture you say okay we will host olympic games in the middle of a pandemic it sounds weird. It sounds not only weird, but it sounds uh, difficult to, to do. At the end of the day, they have done it. So this is a success for the IOC. The thing is, uh, this shouldn't be uh, like uh, something they get and we get used to. I mean, this was an exceptional moment and games without spectators shouldn't be the norm because this wouldn't make sense. Uh, the, 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 the fact to not organize the games, uh, they, they had to postpone them in 2020. So these are the 2020 Tokyo games in 2021. Uh, this is already weird enough. Uh, I mean, it is a success for the IOC to have been able to stage these games. And uh, if you follow what Thomas Bach uh, says, he, he insisted that many, many, many competitors they were really thankful because they were able to compete in the games. And you have to take also that angle. Huh? Uh, I mean, for these 10,000, almost 11,000 competitors here, the Olympic Games are the peak of their careers and they prepare for the games for four years, in this case, five years. So uh, not being able to compete to go to the games is a huge uh, setback, a huge problem for them. So this was important for them but as i said uh, i mean this should be the exception and we shouldn't get used to have uh, olympic games without spectators because this is not uh, healthy for sports it's not healthy for for the people for the spectators this, this this shouldn't happen again and we're still waiting though for word on whether spectators will be allowed to uh, come to the beijing winter olympics just six months from now the, the the IOC says it still hopes to be able to to have ticket sales to have uh, spectators at these games, but with the time growing short between now and Beijing, there seems to be a really dwindling opportunity for anybody anybody to make uh, travel plans to go to uh, to go to China for these uh, Winter Olympic Games. 
Yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, when I said that this shouldn't happen again, I was more meaning the, the summer games because, yeah, as you said, Beijing is only six months away and it looks that there will be no spectators. There are at least very few uh, of them. Uh, but the winter games, although they are big, they are huge, they are important, they are not comparable to the summer games in scale. No? So uh, let's see what happens in China. Everything is a little bit... Uh, in shallows uh, right now, we don't know what happens. Uh, as you said, uh, tickets are not to sale, and this is uh, unprecedented for Olympic Games six months before their start. So it looks like we will have also some uh, negative news regarding these these Winter Games, which are uh, around the corner. Overall organization, though, um, you know, did everything seem to work? And in 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 this odd and eerie silent Olympic Games, <laughs> yeah, I mean it did work. Uh, you have to think how less burden the organization had not having spectators because to uh, control the flow of spectators to organize every day thousands and thousands and ten thousands of people, it is. I think it is a problem. So when you don't have this, uh, probably to, to do certain things are easier. No? This said, uh, I mean, transportation, and this is from a journalistic point of view, I mean, uh, we, we think it, will, it could have been a little bit better because you took or you, you, you spent a lot of time in this uh, transportation system, which sometimes took quite uh, weird routes, quite weird ways to reach places which were like few blocks away. And at the end, you ended like for half an hour in that bus. It would have been better to walk there, but you, we weren't allowed to walk. So uh, we had to take the bus. And the other thing I would say from a very uh, personal point of view, being a journalist again, <laughs> is that uh, food was really a disappointment here. When you think about Japan, uh, and if you like food, I mean, Japan is such a paradise for foodies. And this was so strange here. No? Uh, it's not the first big event when a journalist finds that uh, the food is not exactly uh, enjoyable, not exactly good. But here it was expensive, it was really bad, and it was really uh, no variety. So I was talking to the people of Paris 24 the other day saying, hey, look at this, because Mm, this is also a way to show yourself to the world and if you have thousands and thousands of journalists covering these games and you offer them uh, the, the worst version of, of your kitchen this is not good so I mean uh, but besides this and this is personal this is very uh, from the journalistic side I would say that the organization it did work yeah but that gives uh, Paris the home of whole cuisine and plenty of great <laughs> food puts Paris, uh, gives Paris a chance to, uh, to make good perhaps in, in three years with uh, what they offer the journalists and we hope uh, spectators from around the world. We hope, uh, but you know, in France 98, in the Food World, World Cup, uh, food was horrible too. So this is a trend <laughs> in the big events. I mean, uh, you don't know why, but this happens. So maybe, maybe, maybe they learn for 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 these Olympics in three games. 
uh, Olympic Games, which they look, I have to say, uh, amazingly interesting. I mean, what the, the French people plan for Paris 24 is really, is really impressive. And with that, we end the Tokyo Report. Thanks to our team in Tokyo, led by Editor-in-Chief Sebastian Fest, with on-the-ground reporting from Mark Pickering, Mitsu Oda, and Hiro Hashimoto. Gerard Farrick has overseen the coverage as managing editor, with additional reporting from Miguel Hernandez, Brian Pinelli, and Philip Facuda. Marcel Rosado is Director of Technical Operations. Parting is sweet sorrow, but we'll be back soon enough. The 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing are just six months away. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Ed Hula, your best source of news about the Olympics since 1992, AroundTheRings.com.